So today we have a very important and potentially uncomfortable discussion about Asian American um, identity and, and the violence against us. And I feel like we can never address it enough. And now is a time where these voices are emerging and uh, we need to kind of grapple with what's going on with this violence against us and, and what it means. And I think reckoning with what the racial narrative is now, what Asian American identity is and um, what the position is, you know, in this predominantly black and white racial narrative in this country and, and how that sits with this whole term model minority that everybody's been popping up and referencing and trying to, to make sense of. So I am so happy to have uh, this group of gals who are here to join in a critical discussion, if you will, on uh, anti-Asian violence. So I'm just gonna introduce you all briefly and then maybe you can tell us a little bit more about you and where you come to this table from. So Carol Lee, hi Carol, was born and raised in Hawaii here in Honolulu with ancestral ties to China and Korea. She uses she and her pronouns and after teaching English abroad in China, Hong Kong and South Korea, she's now pursuing a master's in Asian international affairs and graduate certificate in conflict resolution. And she's interested in researching human security issues and peace building efforts in Asia. Welcome Carol. Uh, next up, uh, Carly. Hi, Carly. Carly Ishihara is a fourth generation uh, Japanese American who was born and raised on Oahu, uses she and her pronouns, and received her undergrad in both Asian studies and sociology here at UH, and fuels her current sociology focused master's thesis. Her research interests include deconstructing local identity and ethnic identity through the experiences of Japanese Americans in Hawaii. So again, hi, Carly. Last but not least, Stephanie. Stephanie Sang was born in Beijing, China, and moved to Orlando, Florida at the age of six, making her part of the 1.5 generation. Her pronouns are she and her, and she identifies as Chinese American. And she recently received her master's in anthropology, studying critical international development, and will begin her PhD in literature in the fall. Congratulations, Stephanie. Welcome. Thank you. So welcome all ladies and let's just kind of again, um, this is a very uh, intimate space I hope for us to come together as Asian American females to grapple with and unpack this very disturbing uh, recent murder case in Atlanta. And I'm just going to maybe start with opening it up and let's all have just thoughts on this, uh, this, this case first like what's gone through your mind since it happened on tuesday and how it's affected you just share your feelings about that so don't give it that asian passivity that silence <laughs> go for it okay yeah i guess um i was thinking that exact thing in terms of the asian passivity and like thinking about um i saw one of the questions in the in the news media um, and sort of across social media, um, I've seen some of the victims' families speak, but not really um, the Asian women's families. Um, some of them like have their pictures up um, in different spaces, but four of the Asian women do not. Um, and I'm I'm thinking about like the way culture. I mean, being part of the 1.5 generation, meaning like I had my foot both in China um, where I was sort of born and raised until I was six. And then in Florida, um, there's always that constant tension of like, you want to fit in, so don't say too much. And I don't know how much this fits um, with what's been going on too, like with the great publicity um i mean not great publicity the media attention focused on um this event um sort of colliding with different families takes um and approaches to speaking out um yeah that's just what i've been thinking so far even personally and with like some of my asian american female friends uh, being much more comfortable sharing text between ourselves um, as opposed to coming out in public and saying anything and expressing our thoughts and processing in like view of a, 
of a public. Yeah, yeah, no, that's a good point. It's interesting, huh, right? That that kind of lack of wanting to be publicly uh, conversing about these issues is something so embedded in Asian culture. <laughs> I don't know. What do you guys, Carly and Carol, what are your thoughts on it? How has this impacted you or how much has it kind of, you know, given you thought about things? Yeah, I think initially I was in shock when I first like read about it and it hurt. Like it hit a core part of who I am and how I identify and being seeing other Asian American women attacked felt like a personal attack because I know what those microaggressions are. I, you know, even living in Hawaii where typically there's a large Asian American presence, you still feel a lot of the microaggressions. So to see the macroaggressions actually happen, to see people being killed, just in the public eye where I, a lot of the reactions that I've heard was, there's no racism against Asians. What are you talking about? Um, was also very eye-opening to hear and see that from other Asian Americans, just like on social media and the mixed reactions that were coming out of this. Um, so it was very shocking. And I'm glad we kind of opened up this space here to talk about it because it is a very difficult topic to speak up about, um, especially with the mixed reactions coming from people around us. Yeah, thanks, Carly. Um, I, you know, it's it's really sad, honestly, but I feel at the same time I'm not surprised that this happened because not only the anti-Asian hate that's been developing because of COVID-19 and, you know, all that, but just the shootings that have been happening in the last few years. I think about Pulse. I think about, you know, the murder of so many Black people and how we've normalized it. And when it hits your community, and I I don't know these women, right? They're all the way um, in Atlanta, but it, it's as if like, if that was me in that situation or if, or when I'm older or my grandma or my mom, you know, it just, it's, you visualize it, like it could actually happen to you. I think that's what just made me feel even more sick and something I'm still grappling with. Um, and just watching the media and seeing how the, the police are like downplaying it hmm. and saying that he did it because he had a sex addiction and felt like he needed to eliminate something um and and, you know they're not even mentioning that like they briefly mention oh it's asian businesses it happens to be asian business we don't know it's racially motivated like no yeah he doesn't need to verbally say that it was racially motivated for him to have killed six asian women and and with other people as collateral damage and specifically target asian businesses like it's it's just really frustrating how how much more people have to die for us to finally realize like there's something extremely wrong um, with what's happening and what has been happening. And the way everybody is kind of, you know, have growing the solidarity is so uh, vague. Like we have these stop Asian hate and, you know, the president saying, yeah, this must stop. Okay. But what are we doing about it and and how are we addressing it? You know, people are saying, oh, they're putting in more polices to 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 kind of monitor certain areas of high risk, but is that that's not addressing the problem? Um, and there's so many issues. I feel like like I can't even put into words the the way I'm troubled by this because I don't understand it. I don't, I've never really experienced this before. So, you know, me growing up half of my childhood in Hong Kong and then coming here and yes, I'm Asian American, but I'm transnational. And Stephanie, I don't know if you kind of have that same feeling, but then I, I think about like the roots of Asian culture and how we, um, you know, particularly with the older generations is you're brought up to be obedience you're brought up to be um quiet and dutiful but somehow 
along the line here, it's morphed into this misinterpretation of this passiveness and submissiveness that plays into this whole kind of, we're going to go and tie it back to his sex addiction, sex addiction, and, and to the idea of the fetishizing of Asian women's bodies, right? I don't know. I mean, I feel like there's a very uncomfortable connection between the assumption of these, this rooted, strong Asian cultural traditions, and then turning it into something else over here. I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Um, I guess to touch on the point about passivity, like I think part of it is like cultural, but only a part of it because I think the other part is like survival. Um, I think about Asians having to immigrate to the United States, having language barriers, facing discrimination, being called fobs, um, you know, and already having a feeling of foreignness depending on which areas they, they're in. Um, even my parents coming to Hawaii with a lot of Asians, like if you have a language barrier, you're, you already feel different. So I think in terms of how to articulate what's going on, um, it's, it's, it's hard. And I think, in, I think um, the others were mentioning, instead of like rocking the boat, it's, it's, it's out of survival to not like be so outspoken. Um, but then when something macro like this happens, it's really hard to just um, stay quiet. But I also think about like a lot of Asian revolutionaries in, in Asia, like throughout history, and how this has been silenced and erased in the textbooks, so that this perception of um, Asian submissiveness and you know perpetuated in like porn and media and all these things. Um, just just creates this huge problem, especially for Asian women. Yeah, I also want to touch on that and think about like um, when we talk about like Asian violence or submission. Um, sometimes it's out of respect. Um, the way you read it is the way one reads it um, is very dependent on like the context and whether or not they understand the way. Uh, if you grew up or things like that. So um, I think for me, like being in America, something that my family often talks about or kind of laughs about is like the, what is it called? Blowing hot air, like people who speak, but really don't say much mm -hmm. um, or they just like to hear themselves talk. And Very so I, at least, yeah. <laughs> um, and I felt like that in class too, ever since like, I don't know if this is your experience or not, but in elementary school to high school, it's always like, I'm always formulating before I want to verbalize or really make sure my words mean something um, before I like, uh, I guess, process verbally. So yeah, it's interesting the different layers of that. Yeah, and I feel like there's a bridge between what Carol's saying um, and what Stephanie is saying as well, like there's the idea of protection because in the United States, I mean, even historically, we've had a lot of barriers for Asians and Asian Americans, and we're seen as the perpetual foreigners. Um, the idea that no matter what we do, we're not Americans because we're seen differently. And that plays into the model minority myth and a lot of these, um, what we base our cultural values in, which are really important to us because it does, you know, there are levels of respect. We learn these from our parents, it's generational. So it's on two aspects, a set of skills for survival, a set of cultural skills. But when all of that is used against us, what do we have left? Where can we hold ourselves and our identities um, if all of that is stripped away? And I think that's really unfortunate. And we're seeing that now, how the media is portraying Asian Americans, how there's a lot of erasure on the racism we face, even trying to pit minorities against each other, comparing Stop Asian Hate to Black Lives Matter, trying to see what is more important than the other without realizing they're both important. This is the 
accumulation of years of what feels like everything being, you know, put upon us to be a model minority, but at the same time, having to, having the struggles to speak up against it. I understand what you mean, Stephanie, about like, I'm processing and I'm thinking all of my words before I say them, just to make sure it can get across. And I can feel that, I'm not sure if that's both a cultural thing and just me. <laughs> well, how do you feel about, we're talking about the silence, right? And it's really interesting because, you know, I, in reference to kind of the Black Lives Matter thing, the silence was almost seen as a form of complicity, right? And yet we're kind of, reframing it and seeing the other side of silence as being a protective tool um, and respect, which I think is really great to, um, to bring uh, attention to. But so, you know, I don't think, I don't know about you, but I've never really thought about this, first of all, to think about our post potential complicity into this whole um, anti-Black narrative and, and how we've positioned ourselves as Asian Americans in the history of reinforcing white supremacy, right? I, I think this is a very recent uh, thing that's brought out to, to light and, and we're all trying to grapple with how to make sense of that. And I don't know, I mean, how do, how do you feel about that? Like, are, do you feel that we're complicit? Um, and, and looking back at our older generations and how they came over for the sake of survival, as we had mentioned, um, the need to be quiet to survive was not an option and i'm just you know trying to make sense of 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 this this idea of complicity i guess that's a complicated one um to say that you know our silence is complicit but there's a there's a veil of privilege that we have as asian americans um even as a minority so I think always good to see it through that lens first um, as we engage in, you know, any sort of anti-racist activism, but without downplaying our own, um, what we go through, like our own experiences. I don't think it has to be one or the other. I think it's the way that people see their worldview and accept all sides as it's not just racism against black people, racism against uh, Asian Americans, anything like that. It's just racism and that is the root problem. And so to be good allies to each other, minorities have to stick together rather than trying to fight and see if one is complicit to this problem or if one is speaking more about this problem, um, trying to engage equally with both while also seeing it um, from your own personal perspective of your own levels of privilege because it's all intersectional. I don't think we see it like that though. I think like, I don't know, somehow the way this country is structured, it, you know, obviously pits us against each other and what you're saying is is exactly what we need to do but um you know i read some article somewhere and they're saying that the whole idea of um focusing on the asian minority uh you know asian americans as this model minorities is not about asian americans but it's about african american americans actually and re and, and highlighting distinguishing their otherness and that they are more inferior to you know on this on this color line so, and then it's just, the more you look at it and the more you unpack it, it's just, everything stems back to white supremacy. And we, I don't know why all these years we've never really kind of addressed it in this way before. That term was not used in a normal conversation. And now everywhere you see, you know, we, we talk about what it means to be a white centered power and what it means to be a model minority. These are like very, very recent terms that we're grappling with. I mean, I think it goes back to history um, where, I mean, I think right now we feel like it's recent because of the hyper visibility, because of social media, because of 
especially when it hits so close to home for us, then it's kind of like people in our community are talking a lot more. Um, when it becomes such a huge movement, the biggest movement in US history, like the Black Lives Matter movement, of course, it's gonna, you know, more people are more, it's more visible. But when we think about like, even during the Black Freedom Movement, like there were activists like Grace Lee Boggs or Yuri Kochiyama, like um, there is a lot of Black and Asian solidarity, but it's like which communities, which actions are talked about in the mainstream. Um, and I, I think it's great now that it's a lot more accessible to the public. Um, it's not just like grassroots movements doing the work, it's like all different sectors. But it's just really sad when, even when we're at this point, people are still deciding to be complicit or not listen or um, bring up media references of like um, anti-Black rhetoric or like, oh, they're not working hard enough or all this kind of stuff that, you know, as you, you've all been saying, like, we need to be working together. We need to like dismantle white supremacy. We have to think of, and then we have to think about like intersections too, like in this particular case about gender, about class, about, you know, even the way um, disabilities is being talked about here. So um, uh, yeah, those are just kind of my thoughts. Carly, you mentioned earlier that you thought that there was kind of these microaggressions of, um, anti-Asian sentiments, even here in Hawaii. Do you, can you elaborate a little bit? You know, cause I, I feel like the invisibility of these conversations is because a lot of people think, oh, you know, is this such a, an Asian um, majority in population that we don't have these issues here? Um, and, you know, why are people not vocalizing on and reacting to this case, you know? Yeah, I think it's quite unfortunate um, that people are silent more silent here um, than in the continental US because we have such a large Asian American presence that they think it doesn't apply um, or that it doesn't matter so much because we have so much community here. But you can still have, first of all, microaggressions within your community. Um, if you can just see the division of ethnic lines here in Hawaii, and it, they're strong. Um, and the perpetuation of the model minority myth, the idea that we're all supposed to be smart and good at math and be successful and still strive to be, you know, doctors and lawyers. And there's a lot of, um, negativity surrounding the arts and creativity for what like why um and that all comes down to because like it all comes down to being the image of being successful and i know a lot of that at least from what i've learned in the japanese american community comes from after world war ii first being seen just in general asian americans being seen as the yellow peril um we are taking over. For Japanese Americans, we are spies. You know, we're going to cause the destruction of the United States. And having to shift that to being the model minority, having to sit under this umbrella of white supremacy to live and to survive here. And then through the generations, having that mentality built from your great grandparents, your grandparents, your parents to view to whoever you pass it down to, that it might have seen like strong racism back in the day um, and what you do to protect yourself. So you tend to, I, I'm not really sure what they did all the way back in the day, but for all of that to come down to, for me as a fourth generation, see it in still being successful or being submissive, being, um, there were sentiments, even while I was growing up, children are to be seen but not heard. Um, and a lot of that comes down from this idea that we need to be complicit. And so because that's still strong here in Hawaii and we don't have a lot of engagement um, outside of Asian American communities here. 
that's where you see a lot of the microaggressions and the perpetuations of a lot of these um, white supremacy type of idealism, especially under the umbrella of capitalism, where because we're so tourist-based, um, we have to flex the idea that we're not just Asian Americans, we're Asian Americans from Hawaii. And that's like a different level um, in some people's view here. Does that make sense? Yeah, I also wanted to add too, I think, I think because Asians are the majority here, we don't see the ways in which the model minority just looks different than on the mainland because of the population. So I remember growing up, I feel like Asians were pitted against Native Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders here. Um, they're not black, obviously, but it's it's still like a color division. It's still pitting communities against each other. And I remember rhetoric like, oh, those stupid Hawaiians or those, um, I'm sorry if this is triggering for any of our Pacific Islander listeners, but Micronesians are cockroaches. And there was even this one English teacher at my high school where you know she was so nice to all the Asian students like myself, you know, and she told this one Hawaiian student that she would not amount to anything. And that happens here. And it's, it's, it's this mentality that, that these little comments, you know, they accumulate and it comes to a point where you have different types of Asian people. Like I would never want to generalize, but you know, some internalize these and think they are superior. Um, and then it, it only takes something like what's happening now recently to re for them to realize like, oh snap, racism is a thing even for us. But when it's not so like visible or like overt, um, like in, in, in Hawaii, for example, um, it's, it's just, it's a lot more hard for people to finally like believe if they, if they don't experience it themselves or someone close to them doesn't experience it. Can we build off that? and you know um focus more on on the woman's position in light of this asian american identity and how that digs a little deeper into like what we're trying to grapple with now i mean do you all do any of you have experiences of discrimination because you were an asian american woman i mean again coming back to hawaii is a lot of times we don't see these issues but they're there and very invisible ways like Carly you mentioned, but I don't know if you want to share any of your experiences of that and affecting you. There's this uh, great article recently in the New Yorker um, where this author talks about one of the micro uh, aggressions that happened to her uh, that also resonated with me is just uh, generic, like walking down the street and maybe your cat calls or um, sexualized in some way. And then when you try to deny that gaze or just ignore it, then that interaction all of a sudden turns hostile towards your race. There's like the calling of the ching-ching chong or whatever, like trying to mimic your Asian language um, in, a, in like a, a demeaning way. So it's just interesting that snap or like that shift from first seeing you um, as a sexual object and then if that is denied um, in any way or you try to show your own agency or even just ignoring it and moving on like the perpetrator feels like the need to chase after you or demean you in in the racial way so it's, I think it's that kind of layer um, that was also so grossly evident in the attack in Atlanta. Yeah, to echo off that, um, it reminded me, not just of my experience, but some of my friends as well, where when there was that conflict, right? As soon as you don't want that male gaze, um, it's, aren't you supposed to be blank? Like fill in the blank with some sort of like, passive, submissive, aren't you supposed to be that? Um, because we're Asian women and anytime we speak up about it, it becomes um, racially charged where at, at one point 
um, it was, oh, like, what are you, are you Korean? Is that why you're so angry? You know, there's that sentiment of Korean fury. And I'm like, what does that have to do with anything? But it's just the way that they use that. And then they pit, right, ethnicities against each other to make their point is very frustrating but it comes out in situations like this where what can you say after that I think for me my personal experience it was never like verbal or overt it was a lot of psychological trauma that I had to deal with in terms of what does it mean to be an Asian woman Um, and I think for me I grew up like you know I was like fat right? And what does it mean to be an Asian woman? There's this perception because of media um, of like, you know, you think of like K-pop girls or J-pop girls, you know, very skinny, light skin. And me not looking like that um, growing up was really hard. Um, and I, I never, in a way, sometimes I never felt like Asian because I never fit that, that one specific mold of what people think Asian-ness is and and then you have other like really problematic stereotypes like small titties or small pussies like it's it's so dehumanizing yet the narratives is like oh shouldn't you be grateful like you're the most sought after woman like you know and it's just it there's so many dynamics that it's it's so toxic and um I, I, I've it, it, like it took me a really long time to realize like to be Asian to be a woman it's like defined by my, my own means um, but it's just so hard when it's it's so pervasive um, in our society and, and um, us as Asian women are you know it, it leads into like men specifically white men's entitlement to subjugate us and um, yeah it's it's just I, I feel like there's so many intersections here but, but let's go into that you know the idea going back to the the recent murder in Atlanta is this you know they're quoting him as saying that he's you know it's the temptation that he needed to, to eliminate I mean I just can't believe what is reinforced in the media by situating it in that it was his mental issues uh, on 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 sexuality and not about race and not about targeting Asian women. I mean, it's just so much. And, and so let's talk about that. Let's talk about why the Asian female body has become this stereotyped image of, 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 of sexual objectification and why it's continually perpetuated. And, and I don't even know if this media now is in for reinforcing it by talking about bringing to light these Asian run spas and massage parlors and what it implicates or what or was there any sexual relationship and why, you know, why, what is the appeal? Maybe people are starting to look into it and go, oh, yeah, maybe there is something, you know, how does it even distort further? You know, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think I can. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Stephanie, you go first. Sorry, just a short comment. I think it's definitely nothing new, um, starting from like the Page Act of 1875 and thinking about like banning Chinese women from immigrating to the US because they're perceived as only, their only job would be in prostitution and the temptation of, of uh, the white men here. <laughs> and yeah, this definitely, thinking through that in the historical context. Um, I guess it's, it's unfortunately not surprising. Yeah, along those same lines, it reminded me of yellow fever and growing up learning about that and how people have an Asian fetish um, with, I think, the idea that we're meant to be small and we're meant to be dominated and we're meant to be submissive. And all of these ideas are reinforced in not just mainstream media, but in porn, in nowadays social media. Um, And there were hopes as I was growing up that that was just a thing of the past. 
Um, and I learned very quickly, it's not. And it's not just the US, you know, when I was living in Hong Kong, and we traveled frequently to, you know, other South, Southeast Asian places for vacations or whatnot. I remember coming back in to, you know, through immigration. And, you know, I have my American passport with my husband, and literally, that immigration officer, oh, this is, I guess, coming back to the US, sorry, would look at my, um, look in my face and not look at my passport and immediately tell me to go into the immigration, the immigrant line. And, um, or, or even like assumptions of the dirty weekend, because, you know, in Asia, a lot of times these privileged white men would go off to the Philippines or Thailand for a little dirty weekend. And so, it became like a, 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 you know, a normative thing. And so when they see an Asian girl and I'm dark, right? So I, I can look, you know, Southeast Asian and their assumption that I was my husband's dirty weekend was something so normalized. I also like, like it really struck me that this is not just an American thing. It's this is a global thing. Like why do loser older white men go to you know thailand to make themselves feel a little bit more manly because they can get somebody because they have the control and they know they have the power over it and then these women play into that submissiveness because of that again going back to capitalism and colonialism is you know what, what's their position what are they going to do you know they're trying to make money and or or whatever and it's just um it's a huge it's a much bigger problem right it's just like global what do you think we can do i mean to you know, of course, we're talking about it, but what does it take to dismantle these stereotypes? And yeah, where do we move it to? You know, that question is what I've been kind of pondering on um, with our conversation. And, you know, when you're bringing up like white people coming to Asia and like having a dirty, I don't know. I. I'm going to be really blunt here. I need white people to check themselves. Like I need you all to check yourselves and really think about your positionality and how much you have to unpack in terms of perhaps some things you've internalized about whiteness and white supremacy that you may be acting on in interpersonal uh, levels. Like if, if we're having this conversation and talking about all the stuff we as Asian women have had to internalize, what does it mean for white people to internalize, um, you know, justifying themselves in going to Asia and fetishizing like Asian women and their bodies? And, and, and there are cases of like murder, like in, in South Korea, two Korean women were run over by a U.S. military truck. In the Philippines, a trans woman was murdered. Like it's, it is a big problem. And not only do white people going to Asia have to check themselves, white people in the United States, especially right now, need to check yourselves. And I think it's, it's so important. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying white people are the key to liberation, but I think a big part of it is like really being critical of your beliefs and your actions especially when it comes to something like this, because this, even dismissing this white guy's actions as being like a mental illness, a sex addiction, like, like no, that's unacceptable at this. But sorry, that was my little rant. Um, we can go back no, to it was like a good concrete, rant. like I, organizing. <laughs> but it's true, you know, you look at like films and, you know, Minari, I haven't seen it yet, but, you know, I look at all these write-ups on it and, you know, obviously the controversy of it being um, categorized under a foreign film, you know, the perpetual foreignness that we're talking about, about Asian Americans, like, and, and not just the ethnic aspect of it, but the story involvement of that struggle, you know, the all-American story that, okay, we associate Asian stories to be stories of struggle, stories of family problems and generational communication issues and, so it's not breaking away from these narratives. Like nobody's talking about like, ooh, you know, what about the sex work of, of Asian women? What is that world like? You know, just, just kind of flipping the narrative or, or just opening up voices from um, unknown sources that tell us something that, oh, well, I didn't know that there were Asians in the South or, um, you know, there's just so many complexities that we seem to reinforce and reduce to 
again, does it go back to this blind white center that only sees, wants to see things a certain way. And so, and because of the gatekeepers, it's perpetuated. Like, I think there's so many pieces, right? To what does it mean to be Asian? What does it mean to be Asian American? And I think they highlight an important piece, but there's so many pieces as you've mentioned that need to be talked about. And it sucks because there's so many hurdles of like, even if like a media creator or content creator has to like, you know, pitch their idea, you know, what are, what are producers looking for, you know? Um, and there just needs, I mean, media representation is just one small piece again, but we need to have more resources. Um, we, yeah, there's just so much, um, like, especially thinking about class too. I think specifically Asians of lower socioeconomic class end up having to like work in um, different industries and how do we how do we support them um in really material ways it, and especially right now with covid like how do we even give food to people who might not even feel safe leaving their homes at the moment yeah going back to on like sorry some of the things that we can do i think there's a level of at this point willful ignorance um the lack of understanding people saying that they just didn't know doesn't cut it because there's so much that you can do and you can learn and it's right it's a privilege to be able to take a mental break which everybody showed mental health is very important and you don't want to overload yourself but at some point you can't just say this is just how it is because it doesn't have to be um to learn to internally grow to reflect um because everything is so intersectional, every one of us can check ourselves in every different aspect. And this always seems like a pipe dream whenever I say it, because people give me weird faces. But I really believe that the only way that this will ever really eradicate itself is to work together. A lot of times, there's a sheer lack of understanding and knowledge behind people's actions and their words and their thoughts if they just took the time to get to know somebody else even on an interpersonal level that can change generations that can change perceptions um and people always think that it's such a large big hard problem that they can't tackle themselves but in your everyday life you can and it's possible um if you first recognize what position you're in what privilege you have and then what you can do about it yeah crystal i'm really brought back to um your documentary and the first question you asked on the bus when you're asking in the um i think 1960s you're asking where did the white people sit? <clears throat> where do the, the Chinese people sit? Oh yeah, right. Where the yeah. Chinese people sit? Not like the segregated and, bus. And then, right. And so it, I think part of white supremacy is the way that the USA's narrative um, is this like progressive liberal uh, timeline. And that tends to like separate Asian American history into one chunk like oh your struggle was the transcontinental railroad and that was like that's that's it and then like the majority of your history sort of located like in san francisco area like the west um there's no or there's little or less of the asking of right where were asian americans like during segregation southern segregation um specifically or like um, where were Asian Americans, I mean, and where, where do Asian Americans locate in settler colonialism and like that kind of uncomfortable space. Um, so, right, I think even knowing the questions to ask after having gone through the education system um, can be difficult, but I, I think it's important to think of the 
like unlikely connections or connections that just haven't been talked about. Um, like you said, also better media representation um, and just getting down to the more nuanced um, versions of stories. There is a great uh, movie recently called um, Judas and the Black Messiah, mm. where they really like interrogate. It was about a um, African-American infiltrator into the Black Panther Party um, working for the FBI. And I think the film really sort of disentangles like class and that not everyone is going to join this movement simply because of their socioeconomic class and then their motivation is sometimes financial and that is also due to the whole structure of uh i mean their their place in the in in the country so yeah i think the more nuance you can bring uh to these questions um the better I think it takes a long time for people to recognize the need. Like, you know how much effort Black Lives Matter had to create so much noise in order for the industries to say, okay, yeah, we need representation. We need to shift. We need to give space for people, you know, um, people of color to tell their stories. It's taken so long and so much effort. And I feel like now with this recent rise of Asian American voices, which is very unusual in, you know, historically speaking, that it's interesting to see what will come of it right? Like, is this just a current noise that will quickly go back to silence and people forget about it? Or is this indeed the beginning of some kind of a movement that will hopefully open up direction for new stories to be told? Um, and, and who, again, gets to tell those stories? It's just, you know, it's, it's so political. I just feel like, I mean, I wanted to ask you all before we close is, do you think this is a, a good space to be able to recognize us as Asian American women to talk about the problems we're dealing with? Or is it really reinforcing the fact that we are othered, that we are marginal and that we needed like our own space to talk about it when we need to really open up to, you know, to avoid preaching to the choir, so to speak, is how do we bring it to a larger context so that we're talking about, you know, Carol, you're talking about addressing white people to reconsider what, you know, unpacking their own sense of uh, privilege. How, how does this break beyond the comforts of our communication and the safety of our own understandings of things that tie us back to what we feel connected to? Um, I think both spaces are important because in social movements, there's a lot of roles um, and a lot of gifts that we all bring. And some of our gifts is community building, right? Like the community we have here right now, um, hearing the different perspectives of different Asian women, because there's so many, so many diversity of experiences, yet we're connected in certain ways. And I think, especially right now, being a good neighbor and checking on your Asian friends, like that, that, that can go miles. Um, and I think that also leads into this long legacy of like Asian American activism that may not be in the mainstream, but is happening and has been happening, even if it doesn't look like your traditional social movement. Um, but then, yeah, other spaces too, if you have that gift of like bringing other people into the conversation or, you know, addressing or dis disrupting, like those are important too. And as long as we all, have that mindset of coordinating. Like we 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 are here to address the issue. Um, I think um, the different roles of healing, of discussion, of facilitating, of um, protesting, like all these things are are so important and um, necessary. And something that struck me earlier too is when Stephanie talked about like uncomfortable conversations, and I thought, oh yeah, um, I think the biggest realization is that it's only in uncomfortable conversations constructively um, that breed growth. And it's through spaces like this where, like Carol was saying, amongst us we find solidarity, but at the same time with the way that it's shared can be educational and by, having the 
guts that we have to be here and to speak out about our experiences and our reflections on how this affects us, it humanizes um, these issues. And it's not just statistics, it's all of our faces here. It's every face of your friends, of your neighbors, of whoever you see, they're real people. And I appreciate this space for it being an open and safe space to communicate that. Um, because I feel like there's been a lot of distance with racism and a lot of that's their problem type of mentality and it's not and to engage back into having uncomfortable conversations is the best way to grow not just as people but as a community yeah thank you again for sort of opening this space um it's nice when sort of everyone here has at least the understanding of background context um of where you're coming from what you mean by a word like meekness um, or, um, and I'm, I'm right now I'm just thinking about the interview I saw with uh, the son of one of the um, women uh, victims and the way that he talked about his mother in a very restrained non-emotional um, kind of distanced way and kind of quiet way and I'm to me, like sort of relating to his culture, I, I, I see his way of speaking is like, to me, it reads as very strong. Um, and to me, it reads as someone holding it together because there is a difference between public facing and private life. And that's a cultural nuance that sometimes you can only get by living, living that. Um, so thank you for that space to be able to like, uh, talk about this issue with um, women who can relate. Yeah, that's such a good point. You know, reading into um, how we are perceived and how we perceive ourselves and how what comes across in that transition between us vocalizing something or internalizing, you know, reading into the silent spaces. So, wow. I mean, this is just the beginning of conversations. I really appreciate all of you sharing and, and giving such important thought to this. Um, and I hope we continue something like this. This is really important. Um, thank you so much for your time and oh, let's hope for, and let's just be a part of this change. Yeah.